You're right. You should learn more about Texas yes. America. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. I'm Scott Elfstrom. And we're joined today by a special guest, Steve Guerra, the host of the History of the Papacy podcast. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you very much for having me. The Spanish mission system had a critical role in the early exploration and settlement of Texas. Today, we take a special look at the history of missions in the New World, its origins, and the influence it played in the development of the Lone Star State. But first, what is your favorite Texas-shaped novelty item? I feel like I'm cheating a little bit on New York. I should say something with Niagara Falls on it or something, but I was thinking <laughs> myself, Texas-shaped silver light uh, switch plates. I mean, that's really classy for your home decor. Classy. Yeah. And the important thing there is you probably have to reposition your light switches just to fit the giant shape of Texas. <laughs> oh, certainly. Epic light switch. Well, there's a lot of things out there, but, uh, you know, you just can't beat the Texas belt buckle. <laughs> because okay. wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> yeah. But but can a belt buckle really be considered a novelty item? It's it, on the fence. It holds up your pants. Uh, number two would then be uh, Texas-shaped praline candies yeah there you go <laughs> delicious yeah um i'm gonna go with a trivet upon which to place your hot pots uh-huh. i don't need your fancy french words <laughs> <laughs> or a doily maybe perhaps okay as long as it's shaped like texas yeah well since swimming pools are not novelty items uh i would go with the clock a texas shaped clock kind of like the one you might find at your great aunt's wall in her living room or in the den you know, next to the above a the shack den. carpet. It, it is the ideal shape for a clock. On wood paneling. Wood too, paneling. Of course. Well, that, it, I mean that that's standard standard for Texas. That's din fair. Yeah, that's, that's din fair. <laughs> the most famous and hallowed shrine of Texas history is the Alamo in San Antonio. It's famous for the stand taken there by the Texas revolutionaries against the forces of Mexican dictator Santa Ana. But before it became a fortress. It was a mission serving a very different purpose, to bring Spanish civilization and Christianity to Native American tribes. In this, it wasn't alone, as there were dozens of missions in the Spanish Texas and the New World, all formed for this purpose. The mission system concept in the New World in Texas saw its origin in the Reconquista, which was the fight between Islamic and Catholic states for the control of the Iberian Peninsula, modern-day Spain and Portugal. This conflict lasted just about the entire length of the medieval age of Europe. The frontier between the Christian states and the Islamic states became a no-man's land and were severely depopulated. The Catholic kings came up with the idea of setting up communities in these depopulated areas with military, administrative, and religious buildings and organizations so that they could have strong Christian centers in these newly reconquered lands. The Reconquista ended in January of 1492, and it wasn't long after, in October of 1492, that Columbus sailed the ocean blue to open contact with the New World. The motivation of the earliest explorers and conquerors, soon called conquistadors, from Columbus to Cortes to Coronado, was to acquire gold and lots of it. They also, in their own way, wanted to Christianize the new lands they found. 
Finding riches and spreading Christianity were equal parts of the grand design established by Ferdinand and Isabella. The Reconquista served as a model for how the Spanish would organize their colonization efforts in North America. After establishing dominance over the native civilizations and peoples that they encountered, the Spanish built forts called presidios which could easily defend the small towns called pueblos. Religious missions would be set up to teach Christianity to the natives near the pueblos and presidios. The intent of this system was to secure new areas to build commerce and then to Hispanicize and ultimately Christianize the native populations. This system spread through Mexico and Central America, as well as parts of South America. Most of the early attempts at trading and exploring what would become the American Southwest didn't work out so well, though. Lack of immediate wealth, like they found in the Aztec and Inca empires, as well as hostile environment and the native population prevented easy exploitation. It wasn't until 1598, when Juan de Añate was able to successfully colonize New Mexico by focusing on the mission system. This opened the door for the system to eventually be applied to Texas. Most of the early mission and presidio activity in the southwest U.S. was focused on the upper Rio Grande Valley of New Mexico, specifically around the town of Santa Fe. In the 1680s, though, a revolt by the Pueblo Indians drove the Spanish out for a decade. Some Christianized tribes that wished to remain under Spanish protection moved south to the lower Rio Grande. A presidio and mission had already been established in the 1650s at a crossing in the river before the Rocky Mountains began. They called this town on the south bank of the river El Paso del Norte, which today is Cuidad Juarez, Mexico. After the revolt, El Paso became the main northern Spanish settlement, and a tribe of Tigua Indians moved to El Paso and were settled into the Mission Corpus Christi de la Isleta del Sur. The mission itself, as well as several parts of El Paso del Norte, eventually found themselves on the north bank of the river as it changed its course. Isleta is today considered the true first mission of Texas. Over the next few years, other missions and presidios were established down the valley, which became later known as the Gateway Missions. Soon the eyes of the Spanish Empire started to turn eastward into Texas itself, but not for religious reasons. In 1689, Spanish priests at the Rio Grande missions began hearing rumors from Indians who lived and traded with them about Spanish soldiers living on the Texas coast. They took these strange rumors to the military officials and soon came to the conclusion that these Spaniards might be French settlers encroaching on the empire's land. In fact, they were right. These rumors were actually the reports of the doomed La Salle colonization attempt. A Spanish force under Governor Alonso de Leon that set out to find them eventually located the abandoned and burned fort, as well as a few survivors of the expedition. Of course, this made de Leon very upset, and he realized that Spain needed a presence in the land if they were going to keep the French from taking it. He approved the request of Franciscan priests to set up new missions among the Caddo Hesanai tribes who lived in what is now East Texas. They had been friendly to de Leon when he had been in Texas looking for La Salle. They were so friendly, the Spanish took to calling them Tejas, which was a Caddo word for friends. This is where we get the word Texas. Before we go forward in the story of Texas, let's take a moment to look at the monastic orders who ran the mission system, the Dominicans, Augustinians, Franciscans, and Jesuits. Each group has a fascinating backstory on their own founding and histories. They were all founded at various times in history as missionary movements, so they were finely tuned machines for spreading the Christian message. Though each did so with a different focus and methodology. 
What is interesting about these monastic orders was that they didn't answer or report to any local authorities, either religious or secular. And the Catholic Church, a local geographic area, was and is led by a bishop. Back in the time frame we are talking about, and especially in a society as deeply Catholic as Spain, the bishop and the secular leadership were practically connected at the hip. It was even common at the time in Europe for a bishop to be both the religious and secular leader of an area. The monastic orders never fit into this system, though. Monks lived and worked in monasteries, and in the New World, the missions combined the aspects of the European monastery with the added responsibility of evangelizing and um, civilizing the native peoples in the area. These monastic orders were what we would think of today as NGOs or non-governmental organizations. They could do some great things because they were outside of the normal chain of command, but they could also be unpopular with the local authorities who had little or no control over them. In Texas, the Franciscan monastic order was the primary order responsible for the founding of the missions. The Jesuits, Augustinians, and Dominicans joined in to a much lesser degree in Texas and northern Mexico. The Franciscans were founded way back in 1209 by Francis of Assisi in Italy. Francis was a rich guy who turned his back on all his wealth and completely devoted his life to serving God, taking care of the poor. By the time of the Spanish colonization of the Americas, the Franciscans had completely devoted themselves to extreme vows of poverty, service to the church and poor, and to spreading the Christian faith. Many popes came from the Franciscan order, and the current Pope of Rome is the first to take his papal name from Francis of Assisi even though he's actually a Jesuit. As we stated before, the various orders would collaborate with civil authorities to set up missions and combine efforts to Christianize local populations. Don't get the wrong impression, though. The Franciscans and other orders would go against the civil or diocesan decisions in order to fulfill their own mission, as it were, of spreading Christianity. Legally, under Spanish colonial rule, Indians were classified as minors, in effect children, to be protected and guided to salvation by the missionaries. They took these responsibilities very seriously, and in some cases even organized their charges into militias to protect the people that they served from being mistreated. In Texas, the Franciscans worked much more closely with the Spanish authorities, but still maintained their independent streak. In 1690, they established the first mission in Texas, Mission San Francisco de los Tejas, located between present-day Crockett and Nacogdoches in East Texas. The Caddo people in the area were somewhat receptive to the priests, But unfortunately, the Spanish were also accompanied by smallpox and a drought, which killed thousands of people in 1690 and 1691. It's not clear if the Spanish actually brought the disease, but they were certainly blamed for it. Faced with local hostility, the priests packed up and burned the mission in 1693. For nearly two decades, the Franciscans were confined to northern Mexico, but one of the friars who'd been at the original mission, Friar Francisco Hidalgo, was a constant advocate for a return to the area. Finally, in 1711, when he got tired of being told no by Spanish officials, he wrote to the French governor of Louisiana asking him, as a good Catholic, to sponsor his order's return to East Texas. This prompted another Frenchman we talked about in our first episode, uh, Louis Saint-Denis, to head into Texas on a trading mission and look for mission sites. This spurred the Spanish again to establish a present in eastern Texas as a counter to the French. A new mission to the Tejas was established in 1716, but it failed when war broke out three years later with the French. 
However, this time the Spanish were serious, and in the years after 1716, more missions and presidios were founded in Texas. One of these, the Mission San Antonio de Valero, was moved in 1718 from the south side of the Rio Grande to a bend in the San Antonio River about a third of the way between Eagle Pass and the Sabine. The Spanish also built a presidio in town, both called San Antonio de Bayar, near the Mission, which sat along the road St. Denis had mapped a few years before. Over the next 20 years, another mission, Mission San Jose y San Miguel de Aguayo, was established a few miles down the San Antonio River, and three others that had failed in East Texas, Mission Concepcion, Mission San Juan Capistrano, and Mission San Francisco de las Tejas, now called Espada, were also moved nearby. San Antonio would become the center of religious, cultural, and military life in Texas. Other missions and presidios were founded throughout Texas. Mission Nuestra Señora del Espíritu Santo de Zeniga was founded in 1721 near the Presidio of La Bahía, which was on the coast near the ruins of La Salle's fort. Both moved several times until they finally settled on a spot between San Antonio and the coast, and a pueblo, also called La Bahía, sprang up nearby. Another mission was founded in Los Aires, which was set up as a Presidio town a few miles away from the French settlement of Natchitoches. Los Aires wasn't actually in Texas, but is in fact in today's Louisiana, but for a while it was the capital of Texas. Another mission was founded in 1716 near the Los Tejas site called Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe de los Nacadoches. In the 1770s, the mission was closed, but the town that had formed around it remained, becoming the town of Nacadoches. Other missions were formed in South Texas on the Nueces as well as in the towns of San Patricio and Inferio. Finally, a mission and presidio, both called San Saba, were founded on the edge of the plains in 1757 to serve the Apache who were thought to live there in the area and to explore the possibility of silver mining. What the Spanish found instead was that it was deep inside of Comanche territory and they were not particularly receptive to missionary activity. In 1758, war broke out between the Spanish and the Comanche and the mission was utterly destroyed and they were pretty much driven out of Comancheria permanently. Life in the missions, presidios, and pueblos fit quite well into the medieval social order of those who pray, those who fight, and those who work. Prayer, work, educating the local native population, and planning for future missionary activities wouldn't have left the monks of the New World mission with a lot of downtime. Prayer was obviously a huge part of mission life. And the monks prayed the divine offices, the nine times a day prayer cycle, plus normal masses and other liturgical celebrations. It wasn't all fun and praise, though. The monks worked incredibly hard in brutal conditions and were forced to be jacks of all trades. The missions of Texas were a long way down the supply chain from the parts of Mexico where manufactured goods could be procured. The monks needed to grow their own food, make their own horseshoes, plow blades, nails, and whatever else they needed on their own forges. Constructing and maintaining buildings and even creating religious art would be an everyday occurrence in the mission. The purpose of these missions wasn't to run some quaint homespun DIY camp. It was to train the Native American population how to be good, self-sufficient, civilized Christians. The monks took this in stride, though. It was what they were trained to do and what they completely devoted their lives to. The Native Americans who lived in and around the missions would have done all the day-to-day practical activities of the monks and were instructed in Latin and Spanish, along with the Christian education of the catechism. 
They were also taught European-style farming techniques, as well as how to raise domesticated animals such as chickens, pigs, cattle, and horses. The decline of the mission system was written into its DNA. The mission system wasn't meant to last forever. As new areas were colonized, it was only a matter of time before a colony would be settled enough for regular diocesan and civil control to take over. For the bishops and the governors, the monastic orders were good when they were expanding Spanish control, but they did not like the order's independence. The shift from the devoutly Catholic Habsburgs to the less pious Bourbons led to the church gradually losing influence in the Spanish court. The rise of other European powers in the Americas didn't help either. The British and later Americans pushed in on Spanish territory, and they didn't have much time for Catholic religious orders. The decline in Texas was a bit different. As the San Saba mission experience showed, the Native American tribes in the north, central, and west Texas were resistant to missionary activity. The Plains Indians, with their horse culture, simply had no need and less desire to settle down and Christianize. There was also less money and less need for the mission component of the colonial system. Many of the larger tribes had more interest in the trade and interaction that came through the Pueblo and Presidios than the strictures of the missions. In Mexico, the empire began to secularize, and the power of independent monastic orders became less important. Because of the cost and defensibility, most missionary activity devolved into San Antonio, the border, and South Texas, such as La Bahia and Refugio. The growth of the Tejano cattle ranching industry in the first years of the 19th century was fueled by a desire from a few large landowners to graze their land on mission territory. Most of the missions declined and their residents gradually became absorbed in the Tejano and Mexican culture. After the independence of Mexico, this combined with secularization of the new Republican government to spell the final end of the mission system in Texas. As countries gained their independence from Spain, they wanted control over the important institutions of the chains of fortresses, missions, and towns. Throughout the 1820s, most of the missions in San Antonio were abandoned, as were the ones in La Bahia and Refugio. Flooding of the Rio Grande and El Paso in 1829 moved the river path and destroyed the missions there serving the Isleta and Socorro. San Antonio de Valero had been secularized in 1806 and became the main presidio in San Antonio. It was initially occupied by soldiers from Cohila, from an area known as Alamo de Paras, which resulted in a new name for the old mission, the Alamo. By 1830, there were no active missions in Texas. Despite the abandonment of the system, the legacy of the missions in Texas is clear, though. Franciscan missionaries, more than Spanish soldiers or settlers, were the vanguard of Spanish culture into Texas. Despite the initial failure and start-stop nature of their efforts, at least within the interior of Texas, the missions were successful when they were supported by towns and troops. For the most of the 1700s, missions in Texas were successful in developing the cattle industry. At La Bahia, Caroncawa Indians learned how to ride and break the wild mustangs living in the area and to herd the wild longhorns in, that graze there. As the missions declined, these Indians, known as vaqueros or cowboys, formed a major component of Tejano culture in South Texas and northern Mexico. Mission ruins were used to provide building materials for many towns throughout Texas, including Rufirio, San Antonio, Goliad, Nacogdoches, and other locations. 
The Moorish-style aqueduct built at the San Antonio Espada Mission supplied water from the San Antonio River to local farmers and was kept and maintained even after the mission was closed in 1824. It continues to be used today and is a marvel of old-world architecture and engineering. The missions also continued on a smaller scale in El Paso. The Isleta and Socorro missions were rebuilt around 1850, and they continue as churches, community centers, and to preserve the historic record of the Tigua and Piro people to this day. The San Antonio missions in La Bahia fell into ruin in the late 1800s. But in the 1930s, with the centennial celebration of Texas independence, many of these sites began restoration projects. Today, all of the San Antonio mission chapels have been restored and reconsecrated by the Catholic Church, and the beautiful mission compound at La Bahia has also been fully restored to its 1749 condition. The Alamo mission itself is probably the most recognizable remnant of the mission period in Texas. Battles in the Texas Revolution were fought near the Refugio, Concepcion, and Espada missions, but it was the stand that Bowie, Travis, and Crockett took there that has permanently etched itself into Texas' legacy. There would be no Alamo if it were not for the desire of the church to spread Christianity to the Native Americans of Texas. There's a lot of things we recognize um, in terms of the Catholic faiths of today in some of these, or and we see the names of the orders, and we see the names of, you know, these roles of bishop and monk and, and pieces like that, but um, the idea of, like, the missions and what they served is... is it feels like a, a, a very alien concept in, in the modern world. It's funny that you mention that, that it's an alien concept, because going through all of this material and going through this outline and seeing how uh, the Spanish set up their mission system in, the way they, in a way that the, uh, the monks and their chapels, along with the military forts, were this you know, beachhead in the New World to go out there and mingle with the natives and bring them into the fold. It, it's actually not that different than the way uh united states special forces functions i i it, yeah, seriously no, it's true there, there there's a book that i read probably five or six years ago called uh, imperial grunts by robert d kaplan and it basically goes through that whole idea that the u.s special forces the green berets in afghanistan and iraq and they've even got some stationed in outer mongolia they basically have these teeny tiny bases that they send, you know, 10 or 15 guys out there and they live among the people there and they work with them and they get to know them and they try to share the culture and be like, hey, you know, we're going to help you improve your lives. And, and rather than go in and conquering, they go in as friends and educators, lifting them up. So that goes back to the founding of the special forces and the winning of the hearts of mind, winning of the hearts and minds in the Vietnam War. And that's what really the mission system was built for and designed for was to win those hearts and minds of the Native American tribes. Well, I find that ironic that you say that because when people ask, when people, particularly Protestants, have been like, I don't understand Catholics. And I say, well, <laughs> it's just like the army. You, yeah. kind of, you enlist, you don't get to pick in the army. You enlist and they tell you what to do. There's jobs and jobs to be done. And there's a whole organization that makes all these decisions for you from the top down. But it's interesting, you know, we have monks today. I think if you ask most people about monks, they either, they maybe have seen, if they're, if they're a little bit older, they've seen In the Name of the Rose with Sean Connery, <laughs> or they've um, they read that book about training dogs and making beer. And that's yeah. about it. <laughs> well, I think it's the interesting thing about this subject is that 
so much revisionist history and stuff is about how the, the Native Americans were persecuted and killed and enslaved. But if you read about the mission system, not only in Texas, but throughout the New World, um, the missionaries definitely, in their way, because we are looking backwards in time through, through a cultural prism, uh, in their way, they deeply cared about the Native American people. And, yeah. you know, it's, it is condescending that they were considered children. Right. I was going right. to make a comment on this. Like, yeah, of course, their perspective was that the Native Americans were, you know, children that needed to be, you know, treated as children. But that's the best perspective <laughs> in history. And the Spanish, I think their whole philosophy behind the natives, yeah, they did have reservations where they were trying to group the Indians or the Native Americans together, but I think they had a very different mindset on it than maybe like the English and mm-hmm. the later Americans with like, get out of our land, and they kept driving them away. I think they did. I mean, I think when it boiled it down that they did have more of a idea of getting them into their society mm-hmm. and Christianizing them instead of just, you know, basically this is ours now, beat it. Right. Yeah. So and the, and the Jesuits down in, now this didn't happen in Texas, but the Jesuits down in Paraguay actually fought wars against the Spanish to protect the, the people, the native people from being enslaved by the Brazilians and by the Spanish. So, yeah. And I'm curious, Steve, from your perspective with your research on the, the papacy, how did that, sort of part of the the Catholic faith organization factor into the mission system. Did it have any input directly at all? It's kind of cool. When I was looking it up, there was... So in 1492, that's when Columbus hit the ground there. In 1504, that's when the first diocese was set up in North America. It was in Hispaniola, but that was basically the diocese for everything that they had found so far. And it wasn't until 1537 that a Pope, Paul III, he issued a papal bull, like an official papal executive order saying that Native Americans, that they discovered they were actually human beings. So I think that set, you know, before that, it was a gray area. Were, these, were they human beings or not? Even though um, I th- we were talking about him earlier, um, Bartolome de los Casas, there were some Spaniards who were really fighting that, you know, we're treating these people pretty lousy. And it wasn't until what, like 30, almost 40 years later that they said, okay, now the people we've discovered here are actually humans. <laughs> that, that they had souls that could be saved. Yeah. When Steve and I first started talking about this, where do our worlds collide? Where do our worlds meet? And I think the most obvious area of where the history of the popes the history of the papacy and the history of Texas meet is in the mission system because that is the most and the earliest Catholic presence in Texas. Well, I'll tell you the ironic thing about missions in Texas is that when I was a freshman, we moved to a little town called New Caney that's just northeast. It's about 15 minutes northeast of Houston, and the area had no Catholic church. For like, you could go like 35 miles and not hit a Catholic church. So it actually had a mission. And nearby, um, there's a convent. And so the Monsignor that ran the convent was in his 90s, and would uh, they would bring him in, and he would do the Mass once on a Sunday. And there was people that, all the Catholics came in out of the woods. It was, there was not a big Catholic population there. but And uh, he was in his 90s, so where normally a Mass would take anywhere from 
With the young priest, let's say 56 minutes and change, uh, it was two, two and a half hours, just because he was <laughs> physically so old oh, to man. move around. So um, we got a new priest, the magnificent... <laughs> well, I mean, he, he was old and, you know, yeah, yeah. The, he was living at the convent. But um, we got a new priest. He was uh, this uh, priest from Ireland. He's a magnificent priest, and he's still here in Texas today. But he was very honest with us as a congregation. He said, you know, I signed up for missionary work. <laughs> I signed up. I was ready to go anywhere in the world. I was ready to do God's work. I was ready to go to Africa. I was ready to go to India. And they sent me to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> they sent me to 15 and a half minutes northeast of Houston because that's where the mission is. And it was it was a mission, and it incorporated as a church. It, it became part of the diocese and incorporated as a church. But the mission system still exists, not even outside. It's still here in the United States today and even in Texas in places. Well, and then your dad was the superintendent at the school district of Isleta in El Paso. That's true. Yeah, they, they mom and dad lived in Isleta for uh, a few years, and he was superintendent there. And that's, I mean, that is the mission. Yeah, it is an active, it is the oldest active mission in, in Texas, and it is it is actively... Uh, it, it, it's a functional chapel. Function. It's, it's a functional chapel. I mean, but, like you can go to Yeah, and, go but to not only chapel. that, but it's it serves the important purpose of preserving the Isleta people preserving their heritage as well. Who were the first people that went there? The first people to go to the moon were astronauts. Well, the first people that came to the New World after the early explorers were these missionaries. Right. They were the only ones that cared. They cared. And, you know, there's this thing about, like you said, there's this lens of history and we look at it now, but there's, you know, for better or worse, however people feel about organized religion one way or the other, um, for the majority of people, they don't, do it to get rich they do it because they feel compelled and they have a compassion towards people and humanity and making the world a better place and they these people you know you don't pack up your stuff and you don't take a vow of charity and chastity and sail across the ocean to you know just kind of get by it's it's you have to feel compelled and called to this. Right, and burn your mission three times before you finally get one that yeah. sticks. Yeah, it wasn't easy. This wasn't an easy job for these guys. Oh, like that um, Hidalgo. I mean, it, yeah. he worked like a dog when he had to go back to Mexico. I mean, it, that's all he did was basically work all day. But that's all he thought about was going back to, mm-hmm. I can't remember which mission it was, it was the, the one the that had burned down. Yeah, yeah it was the Tejas that's, mission all he thought about for 20 years. So he was obviously no spring chicken by that point, yeah. but that's still all he wanted to do. Well, it's it's an interesting thing for us as Texans, Stephen, because, you know, being, being from New York, like, New York like you are, there's more of a focus on the American history and how the early Americans sort of dealt with the native population and the adjustment there. But for us in Texas and our heritage, there's so much more of, how we dealt is the same time frame. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at the, the dates, you're like, oh, I wonder what I wonder what was happening <laughs> on the east coast of America around about 1686. What was going on over there? And but there's all of this history and peace here that people don't know. They think, well, while all this stuff was happening in Philadelphia, and while there were these colonies that were being hey. formed in Virginia, things were happening in Texas. I was wondering if if you guys knew what to like your. Tejanos or Mexicans, do you know what do they think about this? Well, I can only speak to the opinions of of friends that I've spoken to about this. I think it's a mixed bag. I think 
I think there's a, a connection people feel to their the Native American history that people feel a connection to, but I think also there's a great um, a great number of people that are still practicing Catholics and feel very embedded in that faith. And I think there's, you know, those are two very strong cultural influences. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. It's the most visible reminder of Spanish Texas. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the the shape of the Alamo. That's a mission, and that's one of the, you know, overriding symbols of Texas culture. If you go down um, just up the street here in Plano, there's actually a muffler shop <laughs> that looks like the Alamo. Like, yes. it's literally a square clay building, like a yeah, stucco well, building. It's, it's part of the Alamo old, shape on it. old car dealership, I think. Yeah. It used to be a car dealership. Now it's like a muffler repair shop. If you go down to San Antonio, the, the San Antonio missions are part of the National Historic is a national historic park and as we said they've all been restored the chapels are all restored and they're absolutely gorgeous and steven you said that you found a book in your library about texas missions a picture a photo book right it was a coffee table book yeah and so i mean you've seen you've seen these pictures i've been to a couple of these missions and the san jose mission is beautiful it's absolutely lovely and one of the famous rose window the rose window exactly and the mission the espada arc the espada aqueduct is also just an amazing thing to see but you know you talk about these missions as we think of the there's the chapel is the building everybody sees but the mission itself is more than just the chapel right it's a complex there's a whole complex in it that's there and it was integrated with like I said, with the with the actual town, so the town and the mission were interconnected in terms of the community and the services they provided. It was a whole ecosystem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and really, the, like you were saying, the the only missions that really succeeded were the ones that were close enough to Presidio where they could actually be defended. Mm-hmm. Right now, is there any? Uh, this is my ignorance showing. Is there any missions in in New York? Uh, I was I looked into that old Fort Niagara. It's like twenty minutes away. It was a French fort originally, mm-hmm. but that was in the American side. What would become the American side, and that had a mission element to it. The French, I think, the French a lot more like the Spanish were more integrating of the Native Americans. So they they weren't Christianizing them quite as much, but a lot of the Indians did or Native Americans did become Christians and Fort Niagara. And especially, I mean, as soon as you cross the border into Canada, their relationship with the Native Americans is a lot different Mm -hmm. than on this side of the border. Yeah, there's a movie called Black Robe about the French missions in um, uh, Ontario and in Upper Canada. Even like um, the movie The Last of the Mohicans. Mm Mm-hmm. The French, I mean, that was in that wasn't my part of New York. That's on the other side, the um, Hudson Valley region. But that was the whole the whole thing was the French had a lot stronger relationship with the Native Americans than the English did, and the English had a better relationship with them than the Americans did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Stephen. So what? Uh, what is what is the thing that you you most learned about Texas? and your own show from this episode. For me, what I learned most about Texas and the whole religious aspect and the papal aspect 
was that how deep those roots go. I mean, they were looking to remodel missions before New York or Philadelphia or Charleston were even set up. I think just how old it is and how that's America, too. And we should probably learn a lot more about that. You're right. You should learn more about Texas, America. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you want to go to an actual working mission, Texas has several of them. And Isleta in El Paso is is a working, functioning mission. And I don't know, is the New Caney one still working? It's a church. No, no. It's It's it's, just a church now. It's like a tin building, by the way. It's not actually like anything (laughs) epic. It was like like a garden shed from Sears. Right. That had a few folding chairs. Right. But the the Isleta and the Socorro missions in El Paso are definitely old style. Historical monuments of of early America. But living, living history. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. My show is the History of the Papacy Podcast, which details the history of the Popes of Rome and Christian Church. If you want to learn more or listen to the show, you can go to the website a2zhistorypage.com email me at steve at a to z historypage.com and connect at facebook at the history of the papacy podcast you can also find both of our shows and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com you can follow us individually too i'm on twitter at mr java i'm max sean two ends i'm scotticus i'm papal history pod if you like the show tell your friends and please leave a review on itunes that really helps us out We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas Texas wants you anyway.